Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. Well, we have been on a, uh, a journey the last few weeks, and much of that journey the last few weeks is unpacking the relationship or the lack of relationship that we had with our dad and with our mom. But I want you to know today we're going to leave all that behind. We're letting that go. We're going to move more into the present tense and where we are now and the things that we deal with on the day-to-day. And today I want to introduce you to a different kind of wound, a wound that most often is self-inflicted by a man upon himself. I call it the all-alone wound, and it's where a man hurts himself by refusing to see life as it really is. And you know what life really is? You can mark it down. It's a team sport. That's what life really is. Few people kind of say that better than a good friend of mine, Stu Weber, in his book, Locking Arms. I want to read you just a short section of what he has to say uh, in this very excellent book. He says this, Together, it's one of the most powerful words in the English language, and geese know how to use it to full advantage. Wildlife biologists tell us that a flock of geese, by flying in a V formation, actually adds at least 71% more flying range than if each bird were flying on its own. As each bird flaps its wings, it actually creates an updraft for the bird immediately following. Left to itself, the lone goose experiences a drag and a resistance that causes it to long for the flock. When the lead bird in the formation tires, it simply rotates back in the wing and another flies the point. Draft horses also experience a similar, if earthbound, dynamic. Draft horses were made for pulling. Some years ago at, Midwestern County, at a Midwestern County Fair, the champion animal pulled a sled that weighed 4,500 pounds. The second place animal dragged 4,000 pounds. Then someone proposed harnessing the two big fellows together to see what they could do as a team. Together, they pull 12,000 pounds. There's that word again. So let me ask the obvious, Stu says. If our feathered friends know it and the four-footed beast experience it, why should we be so slow to learn it? Together is better. Especially when hardship presses in and there's a tough pull ahead. Some men have caught it. They've reached out towards other men in moments of need and vulnerability. They've taken the risk and grabbed a few friends, and they've changed their world. The power of friendship, the strength of two or more, can make you fly higher and longer, pull bigger loads, and be more of the man you were meant to be. Men together is how life was meant to be. That's what we want to talk about here this morning, where we are now and how well connected we are or disconnected. 
because that has a lot to do with the quality of each man's life here this morning. I've discovered that there are three significant relationships that empower and energize a man's life. And I want to review them for you because they take them, takes a man through the full season of his life. The first is what I call the admiring mentor. The admiring mentor. This is a relationship that occurs most often in the first half of life for a young man, though it's not necessarily relegated to just the first half of life. There are older men uh, who go all the way through their life having some man just ahead of them that kind of serves as a sage for his life. But most often, the admiring mentor occurs in the first half of life. It's with a coach or a teacher or a special relative. Or maybe it's your first employer who took a a special interest in you for one reason or another. People like this, this these admiring mentors that kind of come unexpectedly into your life. You can't buy them. They oftentimes just show up. But they do more than befriend you. They go deeper into your life because they choose to go there. They recognize your potential. Unlike the others that are around you, somehow they see the best in you. They see where you can go and what you could be. You become special to them and you know it. Your success becomes one of the desires of their heart. And they have kind of a twinkle in their eye when they look at you. And it feels good. Their admiration empowers you. And I don't know if you've ever had an admiring mentor, but if you don't have an older man when you're younger who's admiring you and calling out the best in you, you know, it leaves a loss. It leaves a loss. A mentor can do something that a dad really can't do. He can see sometimes more than a dad could ever see. I told you about my growing up days and in the midst of my most troubled days as a young man growing up, a coach stepped into my life who noticed me. Can you feel those words? He noticed me. And I knew it. There was something in his face that told me in a very troubled, unstable time that I was special. In fact, as I moved into my junior and senior years in high school, unlike all the other players, he gave me a special nickname. That was a funny nickname, but it was a nickname that everyone knew, including me, that was a nickname of affection. It, it, it made me a little cut above everyone else. I can remember after Friday night games, and we were all walking out as a team after the game was over. It was kind of the tradition of the coaches to stand there, and they would drop a couple of quarters in our, in our hands. It was legal to, to give the players a couple of quarters for a soft drink after the game. And I remember on a number of occasions as I walked by this mentor, he'd reach over and put a few extra quarters in my hand and just squeeze it, not say a word. But words were spoken. I remember my senior year in high school, the year before I'd won the most valuable lineman on our team and here at this big banquet, 
my last year in school, I will never forget they called out the most valuable lineman and it wasn't me and I was expecting to win it again. But I didn't. And they gave out all the awards and when they were finished, right at the end, this coach stood up and said they had created a new trophy. The coach's trophy. And everybody knew it was the most special of trophies. It still is in my high school. But this was the first year they offered it. And they talked about it. And then they presented it to me. But you know what the most important thing at that moment was? Was walking up and grabbing his hand. Because when I did, it was as if I was being knighted by a man who believed in me. That's what an admiring mentor does. And woe is the man who at some point in his life doesn't have another man who peers into his heart and calls out the best in him. There's a second empowering relationship. I call it the side-by-side -side friend, which really should occur over all of life. These are the guys that you have a spoken or unspoken loyalty to. They're the people that you can get down and get dirty with. You can share anything with. And you know, as you deposit that into their hands, they're going to hold it safely. Now, they may be rough with you with what you say, but it's all between just you and them. And there's a, there's a certain sacredness within that relationship because real friends are soulmates. They're transparent partners in life. There's not a lot of places you can go to be transparent and unload your soul, but you can with a good friend. And blessed is the man who has even one in his life. Then lastly, this last, what I call, empowering relationship is with the needy protege. Now that may be new to you, that term. The needy protege. This relationship for a man occurs mainly in the second half of life it's on the other side of being a mentor. You know, the word protege is a French word. It literally means in French to protect. In a Webster's Dictionary, it means this. It means one whose welfare is promoted by another person. And in this case, someone else's welfare is promoted by you. You're seasoned in life. You've had the rough and tumble experiences of life. You've been hurt and you've won. You've been foolish and you've been wise. There's this wealth of experience that you now carry, good and bad, in your life. You're an older man. But what do you carry it for? You know, I think one of the great places that that wealth of material needs to be deposited is into a younger man's life. The needy protege. And so somewhere along your life, you're going to have young men cross your path. It'll start in your mid-40s and continue to the day you die. There'll be opportunities for you to energize and empower another man, to bless his life, to knight him with just a hand on his shoulder, where you look him in the eyes and you smile and you say, you know, you're good. And his whole life changes in that moment because someone believed in him. Somewhere along the line, you'll have that opportunity. And you may squander that opportunity. 
You may be oblivious to that opportunity, but they're going to be there for you, this young man that you need to lock on and for whatever reason believe in, for no gain of your own other than just simply to admire his efforts and to care for his soul and to help him to go higher and farther than he ever thought he could go. I want to tell you something, especially for you guys who are in that midpoint in life. I believe, I personally believe this very strongly, that men were meant to have satisfaction in the second half of life by investing in younger men. Because there is something you gain out of it. You gain an energy and a meaning and a purpose for your life as an older man by making a difference in younger men. You empower, but it also empowers you. And blessed is the man who invests down in the next generation and enjoys it because it's a rich experience. So those are the three relationships that I think keep a man connected and keep a man energized and keep a man empowered. It's the admiring mentor relationship. It's the side-by-side -side friend. It's connecting to the needy protege. And hopefully you'll have all three of those experiences before you say goodbye to this life. Without these three relationships, a man is going to be impoverished in his life, I believe. And that brings us to this wound that I call the all-alone wound. What is that? Let me define it for you here for just a moment. It's a social, emotional, or spiritual loss. You socially come up short. You emotionally come up short. You spiritually come up short. Why? because of the lack of healthy male comradeship. And it results in three things. Loneliness and discouragement. Foolish behaviors and blind spots. And a short-sighted masculinity. As I said, the all-alone wound is self-inflicted. It's the one wound you give yourself but it need not be that way. Here's the point. Every man benefits from the company of other men. Men who are pulling on him in life in a good sense. Men who are pushing him higher. Male cheerleaders for him. You know, Shakespeare had it right. I don't know if you've ever seen Henry V on film, but there's a great moment in Henry V. It's Crispin's day. The English and the French are about to go to battle. Here's Henry V leading the French, I mean the English, a small group of soldiers who are exhausted after a long march and they're about to attack an overwhelming French force and he's rallying them. And he gives this magnificent speech that I wish I could quote to you verbatim, but I love the end of it. He tells them that there is noble purpose in this moment and that there'll come this holiday where men who have done less, who've been passive in life, whose life will have less meaning, will not celebrate the day, but speak of them on Crispin's day. Because they were noble and willing to risk their life for a higher cause. And as he finishes this magnificent speech, he says, we few, we very few, we band of brothers. That's life for a man. A band of brothers. 
Every man needs it for his life. And often we have it kind of naturally in our youth. Maybe it's our naivete or innocence, but we tend to join with younger men and run around together in raw honesty. Isn't that right? When you were a kid, when you were in high school, college even. That's why we had the popular sitcom, Happy Days. Because Happy Days were about youthful friendships where we connected deeply with a couple other guys. But with the advent of career and wife and family and wants and needs and activities and responsibilities, those youthful friendships fade away. And new adult friendships are hard to start, aren't they? And if we're not careful, somewhere in our mid-20s and early 30s, we look up with all kinds of acquaintances, but no friends. We're all alone, and we know it. We end up the friendless American male, which, by the way, is epidemic today. You go out and take a survey, survey after survey says that most men today are lonely. They know a lot of people, but they're not known really by anyone. As Thoreau says, they end up living lives of quiet desperation. Is that you? You feel that pain? A life of quiet desperation, disconnected from any authentic community of men with suppressed pain and suppressed feelings and suppressed longings and superficial conversations and nowhere to go with it because you're all alone. Not long ago, they did a study at Southern Methodist University, and here was the conclusion of the finding on men. It says this, the data indicates that even the most intimate of male friendships of which there are few, rarely approach the depth of disclosure a woman commonly has with other women. Men who neither bear themselves or bear with one another are buddies in name only. It's like one businessman who said, you know, my business has increased tenfold this last year. It's been unbelievable. Man, I'm moving. It's fast pace. I've been successful, but I'm tired. And I'm all alone. That's the friendless American male. Prosperous, oftentimes. Active, but lonely. And that kind of isolation can have significant downsides to it. I want to give you just four of the downsides of being alone. And I'm not talking about not knowing anybody. We all know people. We're more connected than we've ever been in this wired world, but we're more alone than we've ever been, which is an odd irony. Here are the four. First, a warped perspective on life. You know, self-deceit comes about by being disconnected. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. Look at the, look at the statement. There is a way that seems right to a man. Every man thinks he's got it figured out alone. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the way therein is death. The point of this passage of Scripture, this wisdom statement of Solomon, is this. Alone we can talk ourselves into anything. 
You know that, don't you? When you're by yourself, you can talk yourself into anything without the challenge of others around you that helps you have a more balanced reality. You become blind. I become blind to my own faults and my own foolish behaviors. They're called blind spots. And every man has them. And if you go long enough, occasionally somebody will have the courage to tell you about your blind spot. It'll get so bad that finally somebody will come and confront you and say, can't you see what you're doing? And the reality is, alone, you can't. That's the problem. We have two eyes, and I, I'm thankful for that. But the fact is, to see life well, you've got to have more than two eyes. To see life as it really is, it's going to take more than two eyes. To see life balanced is going to take more than your, just your two eyes. Because alone equals warped perspectives on life. And you know, I've found that it's interesting to me that there are guys walking around, and maybe it's you. You'll go to the office today, and you'll be walking around, and because of some disconnections, people for maybe months or even years have talked about you, but nobody's ever told it to you. Everybody knows your blind spot except you. Because there's not a channel of healthy connection where that communication can be safely and constructively deposited into your life. That's what all alone brings, warped perspectives. Secondly, it brings loose living. Proverbs 18.1 gives this warning. And by the way, Bill mentioned a, a man who was in men's fraternity who suffered from this exact statement of Scripture. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. When you get out of the herd, and the animal kingdom teaches this, when you're the stray and you're out there, you're in danger, aren't you? To all kinds of prey. Every, biz every business guy here can feel this. When you're on a business trip alone, you're up in Cincinnati or Seattle, and you're all by yourself and no one knows you, can you not feel the pull of evil within? I could do this. No one would know. See, we all feel that. And that's just in a moment when we're separated from the herd. When we're regularly alone, we lose that asset, that incredible asset called accountability for our thoughts and actions. And in that environment, anything goes. And oftentimes it does. What happens is, is that we can easily end up doing things as I've had man after man after man tell me, I can't believe I did that. But he did. But behind, back in the past, the trail leading up to that point was loneliness. He was all by himself. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. The next passage, part of that verse says, and he quarrels against all sound 
wisdom. Thirdly, a loss of motivation for the noble things of life. You know, I said a little earlier, every man needs male cheerleaders. Remember at the beginning of men's fraternity, I said I was going to give you a new language that we could use with one another? Here's a term for your new vocabulary, a male cheerleader. You might write it down. Just put it there, male cheerleader, because every man needs a male cheerleader, particularly in the areas that get little praise. All of us need a guy who's cheering for us in the noble things of life. And the noble things of life, you know, it's so interesting. Those are the things that nobody cheers for one another in. We cheer for each other, you know, in our golf game or, you know, how much uh, new advance in our career we've made. But who cheers for you for loving your wife? Who, do you, who can you go to and talk to about something special you did with your wife and have a guy give you a high five? You know, in the second half of men's fraternity, we'll talk some about a man and his wife or a man and his woman. And I remember on one occasion, there was a, uh, a guy who came down to talk to me afterwards when I was talking about romancing your wife and writing her a poem and that kind of thing. And this guy, burly kind of construction worker, came down and said, you think I could write my wife one of them poems? And there we were, just in a, a moment right down here. And he had an opportunity to, to reach out to another guy, to cheer for him. I said, sure you can. You can do that. He was going to take a wedding anniversary. And I, said, I mean, and I said to him, I said, you know, go somewhere really nice and write that poem and take her out at night and read her that poem. Oh, I couldn't do that. I said, yeah, you can. And when, when you finish, come back and tell me how it went. So, you know, I forgot about it. And about a month later, he came down after men's fraternity and walked down and said, his chest was stuck out. He said, well, well I wrote my wife that poem. I said, really, how'd it go? He said, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, yes, I would. And we high-fived and hugged. And we were cheering like we won the national championship. Because he did. He went higher. That's where he went. He went up. And he won. Just like a guy I talked to not long ago who said, you know, I have a good friend. And when I'm on a business trip, before I go to bed, I call him. And I, I say to him, Frank, I didn't turn on those R-rated movies. Frank says, Good job, Dan. See, that's what I'm talking about. Calling each other up. Telling us we're doing good when we, when we stand up for what's right on a job or we invest in our kids or we stay pure or we work to grow spiritually in what we're learning. That's what friendships, real friendships do is they give us motivation for the noble things of life. And every man, listen, every man needs male cheerleaders. Mark it down. Then finally, a loss of opportunity for much-needed transparency. You know, everybody needs to be known. Every guy in this room needs to be known and understood. Because let me tell you, when you're talking to another man and you feel like he understands and knows you, you know what you're going to feel? Loved. Loved. And every man needs to feel loved by other men. 
It's in isolation that we seek to attract friends that we can share our life with. And you know, after a while, you know what starts going on in our head? Little voices begin to speak, and these little voices say this, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody understands me. Nobody gives a rip about me. I'm all alone in this world. So we throw this pity party. And after a while, we suffer from what I call the three D's. Discouragement, depression, and then danger. That's what the loss of transparency brings. So these significant downsides, a warped perspective on life, can't see the forest for the trees. Loose living, I become a law unto myself. A loss of motivation for the noble things of life, I live for less rather than the best. And then finally, a loss of opportunity for much needed transparency. If I stay alone long enough, it becomes me against the world and I become angry. Listen to what the scripture says about this because it speaks of the importance of being connected. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 18, 24 says, there is a friend, there's a friend out there who sticks closer than a brother. A friend can do something a brother never could. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, Solomon says, Two are better than one, for if either of them fall, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to him if there's not another. Woe to him if there's not another to lift him up. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One of the greatest shames in my life is when one of my close friends called me as he was going through a divorce. He lived a long way away. He was weeping over into the phone. I comforted him as best I could and hung up the phone, but I didn't go. And I'll always regret it. Because a brother's born for adversity. Hebrews 10, 24 says... Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good, need, good deeds because real friends call you up, not down. 1 Samuel 20, 17 just introduces us to this wonderful friendship story about Jonathan and David. It says there that Jonathan loved David as his own life. That's how close they were. In fact, in another verse it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now that's a bond. And happy is the man who, as I said, just has one of those kind of deep connections. Because listen, guys, life is a team sport. Never forget that. It's one of the great principles of life. It's a team sport. So what can you do? Let me give you five things you can do. First, learn the three keys to friendship. Here they are. Loyalty. One of the things about friendship that makes friends go deep and last is an unwavering loyalty to one another. That means you're, you're there for the other person. In the good times, you enjoy one another. In the tough times, you support one another. In the terrible times, you hold one another. But you're there. I'll never forget when my mom died. I drove down to Ruston three and a half hours away. 
And uh, since she was the youngest of 10 children, most of the relatives had died. So my brother and I decided we'd do the, do the funeral for our mother. We were the speakers. And I went into that Baptist church and I walked up to the podium. There were just a few of her old friends left. But as I walked up to that podium, a door opened in the back of the sanctuary and my friends came. My friends. And it meant everything because they were there. Loyalty. Secondly, faithfulness to our values. Now I say that because every friendship is built on common values. Some common values, spoken or unspoken. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I think that's at the very core of friendships is common values. And if you betray those common values, you fracture the friendship. I remember when I was in college, I had a lot of drinking friends, okay? And I remember I told them one day, we were driving along the car and everybody was passing out the beer and I'd just become a Christian and I decided I was gonna quit drinking. And uh, so everybody was passing around. They gave me a bottle. I said, you know, I tried to pass it off where I didn't look strange. I said, no, I don't, I don't want that. Oh yeah, you do, come on, man. We're going out, it's Friday night. I went, no, I don't want to. And finally they kept pressing me. Come on, what's wrong? I said, I don't want to drink anymore. Man, the car pulled over and they let me out. <laughs> I, just betrayed, I just betrayed the sacred oath, the values of the organization, and I was out. <laughs> now, real friendships are based on something a lot deeper than that. But you guys get the point, don't you? Is, is, is that when you join together with another guy for life, there's some common values there that you hold on to and support and encourage. Whether you've fully identified them or not, if you think of a good friend, start thinking about what are our values that draw us together? That's, that's what we adhere around. Then finally, encouragement, because that's what friendship's all about, encouraging one another. And you can write this down. If you're gonna have any friends, you, you, you've got to follow these three principles of loyalty and faithfulness to some common values and encouragement. Secondly, reach out to other men. Now, let me tell you, that takes courage as an adult. If some of your youthful friendships have faded away or moved away and you find yourself kind of lonely, you say, well, I want some friends, you're going to have to, well, you're going to have to step up. You're going to have to reach out to some other guys and that takes courage because sometimes there might be somebody you want to develop a friendship with and they don't want to develop a friendship with you and it feels like you've been rejected. But there are ways to do that, to be proactive in that. If there's another guy that you say, you know, I think I, I'd like to be a friend of that guy. Invite him out to lunch. Invite him to go to some activity. And if you guys hit it off, you be the proactive one though. Don't sit back and throw a pity party. Start reaching out to guys. There may be some that, you know, like trying to fish. You just don't catch them. But maybe there's a guy that you begin to connect with. And he begins to call you. And one day, maybe you need to even be courageous enough to look over across the table and say, you know, Wayne, I really enjoy our friendship. And that's kind of like, want to sign a contract? And he reaches back and says, you know, I really enjoy ours, our friendship too. Now we're going somewhere. 
And then that loyalty and that faithfulness and that encouragement kick in. You get a lifelong friend. And happy is the man who has even one of them. Reach out to other men. Thirdly, challenge men that you like. Okay, that you like. You just have a natural chemistry with. To meet regularly with you to get better. <laughs> just to get better. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here's what Proverbs 13:20 says. He who walks with the wise grows wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. If I were a young man in this room, you know what I'd do? I'd look around and start saying, who are the guys who are doing it well? And I'd want to get with them. Now, how do you get with them? Maybe they're not going to be your best friend. But you know, there are some ways to get with guys to get better. Let me just give you some ways you can do that. First, you can say, hey, let's do a book club together. Read some good book and just get together early in the morning, have coffee, talk about the great thoughts that are there. Wise guys like that. They like new thoughts, stimulating thoughts, good ideas, creative ideas, challenging ideas. So do that. Or get into a Bible study that'll stretch not just your mind, but your spirit. And if, if that's a foreign thing for you, let it be an adventure, a field trip. Get with some other guys and see what that great book is all about. Or maybe form a prayer team together and stretch your connection with God together. Man, that's intimate. But that forms and forges friendships. Or form what I call an E-team, just an encouragement team. You see guys around town do that all the time. They have their lunch bunch or breakfast bunch. And they're not there for anything other than just to talk about life. They're just, I call them philosophers. You know, I, I see some guys down at Burger King that have been meeting for three years. And they're there and they're just over there talking about, you know, their families and their kids and stuff, but they encourage one another. They're just there to be an E-team for one another. Or maybe you get together with uh, the guys in your men's fraternity and you say when it's over, you say, let's keep meeting. There are guys who are doing that even now from years ago. Or maybe there's a mentoring relationship you can enter into and you come along a young guy and say, hey, let's start getting together. I'd like to talk to you about life. And it doesn't mean that you've done it well. You may have not done it well at all, but that's what he needs to hear. How you didn't do it well so he won't make your mistakes but be encouraged by it. But here's what happens. When men just start getting groups together just to get better, what happens in the midst of those groups is in the midst of that kind of what I call social party, they'll notice certain guys in there that they particularly like and who particularly like them. And out of that, lifelong friendships get formed. So challenge a group of guys to get together. A lot of men are just sitting there in waiting that's what I think happens to a lot of men. It's kind of like, you know, when you used to go to a dance in junior high, the girls would sit on one side and the guys are on the other side, and they're just waiting for each other. That's the way I think male friendships are. They're guys on both sides just waiting for each other. And somebody needs to get up and go to the other side and tap somebody and say, hey, let's dance. And out of that, after a while, a relationship is formed. So that's what you need to do. Fourthly, get real with another guy and share your heart because real friendships go beyond the small talk about sports and weather and politics. It gives way to what I call soul talk. Here's how you know you're in soul talk. It's when you start talking about your needs and your dreams and your doubts 
and your failures and your struggles and your temptations and your spiritual insights. When you get down at that level, we're talking substance there. And every man wants to talk there. You know, a lot of you get, one of the things I love about being in certain groups where you just give them the permission to doubt. It's just people just walking around with all kinds of questions about life. They just want to talk to somebody, but they're afraid. It's a great, it's a great moment to have a place where you can talk about anything and everything and feel safe. You can unload your soul with another man, which is the richest kind of relationship. Now, everybody look up here for just a moment. That's what we're just beginning to scratch the surface right here, aren't we? That's why I give you questions and we go to small groups. And you talk about something substantive like your relationship with your mom or your dad or what you felt growing up. Feels good, doesn't it? Just a little bit of that just feels good because it's something that's been in there that needed to get out. And we're learning just a little of that as a mass group as we break up into small groups. And it does, it feels good. Imagine things like that going on for a lifetime, but not just hard stuff, good stuff. To be encouraged and empowered and enriched and blessed because we've learned that life is a team sport. That's what I'm talking about. Get real and share your heart. And then finally, enjoy life together. Because nothing draws men closer together than activity. That's how guys bond a lot of times. They forge together in the midst of shared experiences. You ever listen to a group of old men talk in a park or around a breakfast table? And what they share? What do old men remember? They remember laboring side by side together when they were really stretched out. The hard stuff. You know, Bill Wellens and Bill Parkinson and I, for the rest of our lives, we'll tell stories about how we started this church. How we sat around a breakfast table one morning about 15 years ago, kind of dividing up what was the offering. It was about 16 bucks each. And weeping about, are we going to make it? But we'll tell rich stories about that. Our whole lives. Mike Robinson and I will tell stories about going to Columbia, South America and out there building that evening that school for the Guajira Indians and as we were coming back in being attacked by Indian bandits with machetes. Bill Smith and I will talk about starting men's fraternity together when it was just a small group of guys. Now hearing about it being taught in Beijing, China and Jackson Hole, Wyoming and Sarasota, Florida and Prague. Side by side. Soldiers. See, that's what you talk about as friends. Old men talk about war stories. <laughs> My college roommates, Mike Boschetti and John Reese and I, will always talk about 1969, the 100th year of college football, and playing on a team that got to play for the national championship. We'll always remember that. Remember that week where they had to take us and go hide us in Bentonville because there was so much pressure. I remember the helicopter with the President of the United States landing to come to watch us play. And Billy Graham giving the invocation before the game started. My high school friends and I, Wayne Smith, Skip Brown, Gary Hurd, will always remember 
those crazy things we did, because old men remember crazy things. I remember the opening of that new store where they put that blimp up in Ruston to announce the grand opening, and we laid down in the back of an old station wagon with a 22 and shot it down. <laughs> I remember Skip and I taking Wayne Smith for the first time out skiing and Skip's dad's new ski boat. And we were out there and Wayne, we finally got Wayne up and just like high school guys do, we started that ski boat around in circles, got Wayne way out there. Wayne was just screaming. We got so excited that Skip and I both forgot who was driving the boat. <laughs> next thing we knew, the boat was next to the superhighway there. And the police were pulling over saying, how come this boat is in the highway? Those are what I call crazy things that we used to do. I remember Wayne Smith, who's now a judge in North Louisiana, and I skinny dipping in the Holiday Inn pool. And I'll never forget Wayne, butt naked standing there with a police German shepherd on one side and a policeman on the other side going, please don't tell my daddy, please don't tell my daddy. <laughs> That's what old men remember. Crazy things. War stories, laboring side by side. Shared experiences. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. Most of you know that World War I was a hellacious war. It was trench warfare where masses of young men were told to get up out of those trenches and run across what is known as a no man's land and be slaughtered because we didn't know what a machine gun could do in that war. There were two friends, Jim and Bill, who were in that war. They forged a friendship in those trenches in that terrible war and during that time, they shared their hopes and dreams with one another and thoughts about if they just made it, what they would do if they ever got back home and then pledged their lives to one another. On one particular foray over the top, when Bill got back, Jim wasn't there. Jim had been mortally wounded. He got back in the trench and he realized his friend wasn't there and he started out of the trench back into that hellacious fire. An officer grabbed him and said, you can't go back out there. Your friend is finished. And when the officer turned to walk away, Bill went anyway to get Jim. And then in a few minutes, he scrambled back into the trench alone. And he said, my friend is dead. And the officer grabbed him and chewed him out and said, that's the stupidest thing you could have done. And he said, no, it wasn't. Jim was still alive when I got there. And the officer said, what did he say? And he said, he told me, Bill, I knew you'd come. Every man needs to understand that life is a team sport. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.